The first of our scripture lessons is taken from the Gospel of St. John, the 8th chapter, beginning with verse 25. Jesus is speaking here to a group of Jews. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand what he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Thanks be to God.
Our second lesson for this evening, which will also serve as the basis for our brief homily, is taken from the letter of 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would now increase our faith through them. Amen. I was attending a youth convention many years ago, a church-related convention, sitting at a table eating supper with a group of teenagers, and uh, their pastor happened to be with them as well. And in the course of conversation, we were discussing the use of bad language. And I admitted in front of them that when I was young in high school and things, I used some words I shouldn't have that I felt bad about now. And this one young girl, about 15 years old, said, but you're a pastor. And I said, yeah, I know. I'm sure thankful for God's forgiveness and the grace of my Savior that would forgive me. And she said, no, I understand that, but how could you go be a pastor? How could you go on to be a pastor? And I said, well, you're in high school right now. She was attending a Lutheran high school. And I said, do you... Um, do you know any boys in your class that could go on to be pastors? Absolutely not, she said. And her pastor suddenly piped up and said, where do you think pastors come from? In the text before us, St. Peter is the author that God the Holy Spirit uses to speak about this special office that Christ has established, the office of the public ministry. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit uses him, of all of Jesus' disciples, to write about this subject. Peter himself was very aware of his own sinfulness. We've seen stories about him in Scripture. Probably Peter's weaknesses and sinfulness and lack of faith is displayed more than any of Jesus' disciples. Maybe the closest to that would be Paul. At one point, Peter was so overwhelmed by his guilt as he had just witnessed the great catch of fish that he said to Jesus, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Probably the only prayer of Peter's that Jesus did not answer because Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. In essence, absolving him of his sin. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of God. Don't be afraid of me and my power. Don't be afraid. And then he says, from now on, you will catch men. There have been many, many times in my role as a pastor when I am listening to someone's confession of sin or talking to them about a particular sin that they've fallen into, and my own conscience starts to sting inside of me because quite often it's a very sin that I myself have wrestled with as well. And sometimes I think to myself in those situations, it even happens in the pulpit sometimes, and pastors will tell you this, who am I to be in this position? 
Who am I to be standing here or sitting here talking to a child of Christ about spiritual matters? Dr. C.F.W. Walther said that it will often happen that pastors, while they're serving a congregation, will realize that they have a weaker faith than many, if not most, of the members of their church and that their own life of sanctification is often so lacking. But God may choose to use weak, sinful men to carry out his work, not just for the sake of the congregation. That can certainly benefit them as well. But he may choose weak, sinful men and call them into the office of the ministry for their sake, for their sake, as a way to keep them and their own hearts and their own lives with this precious Savior that we preach. Just like a doctor who himself may be undergoing treatment for cancer, he will be far more understanding of the cancer patients that he works with if he himself realizes the great need he has for the very treatment and remedy that he brings to them. St. Peter acknowledges in the text before us some of the challenging temptations that come that are, that are often common in this office. He, simply, he talks about simply acting out of compulsion. In other words, obligation. Maybe when your heart isn't really into the work, that that's a danger. Many years ago, in the, uh, about a hundred years ago, there was a president in the Missouri Synod named Frederick Fotenhauer, and he sent out a letter to all of the clergy in the Missouri Synod, and this is what he wrote to them. I've always loved this line. We must be careful not to professionalize our work. That there's a tendency in us pastors to prepare things for the sake of teaching others, which is important, and we need to do that. But to make sure we run it through our own hearts and our own consciences and our own lives first. To not just simply professionalize our work. St. Peter goes on to talk about those who might do this work for dishonest gain. Maybe seeing your position as a way to advance yourself somehow. As a way to climb some ladder or maybe for prestige, or possibly for a better salary. And then he talks about the danger of being a lord over the sheep, a temptation to somehow think that you have something greater in you than the very sheep you are serving. So these are some of the inherent dangers that come in this office. But God, by establishing this office, is implying to the pastors and to the members they serve is implying a constant dependency upon him and his word and our need for oversight, our need to have someone take care of our souls because it highlights, this, this office highlights in all of us our tendency to wander from the good shepherd, our inability to discern things that are really spiritually dangerous for us. It's so easy for these things to slip into our lives and just start to take over and dominate our minds and hearts. Back in the 1860s, there were many people coming from Denmark, Sweden, and Norway over to the United States, and they would often funnel through New York City. And there was a large Scandinavian congregation, a Lutheran church, that was established in New York City to serve these people. Many of them ended up staying there and living there. But the problem was they didn't have a pastor, and there weren't enough pastors. 
A pastor, a Lutheran pastor that was in Wisconsin at the time named Hermann Amberg Preuss traveled back through New York on his way back to Norway, his original home country, to make an appeal for more pastors. And when he got there, he said this about this congregation that had been without a pastor for three years in New York City. This is what he writes. The church still existed on paper, but that is about all one could say about it. There was no public activity, no common worship. One could hardly even speak of a cohesion among its members. They really were, as some of them put it, sheep without a shepherd, wandering hither and yon. So that's why God has established this office. And he could easily have chosen angels to do this work. He could have easily created an entirely new creature or an entirely new way or process by which people could be taken care of in their spiritual lives. But instead, he's chosen to use people who are just as weak, just as sinful, and just as mortal as the very souls they will be preaching to. So that people could look at Ones like me and others who stand in that office and say, if he can get to heaven, so can I. That's what your God wants you to know. If he can get to heaven, so can I. And so the Holy Spirit uses St. Peter to give these directives. And really, when you think about Peter and what we know about his spiritual life, could there be any better lesson on the fact that those who are to serve in this office need to stand also under the umbrella of God's grace for any comfort and hope for themselves? It brings to mind Jesus' reinstatement of Peter after his great fall during our Lord's Passion. How clear it was to Peter that his standing before God could only be by grace, as it is for all of us. How clear it had to be to him that the only righteousness that would would stand up for him to be able to enter heaven someday could only come from this precious Savior, as it does for all of us. There was an old Norwegian bishop who said this many years ago about the role of a pastor, and this, this is to the pastors. He said, It will never hurt the members of your congregation to see their pastor reaching for the cross of Christ with the same trembling hand that they are. Shepherding, as Peter calls it here, is a term that implies a lot more than just feeding sheep. It implies leading and guiding and protecting and caring for the flock. And through this office, in a variety of ways, whether it's through counseling or preaching or Bible studies, whatever it is, through this office, God guides and cares for the entire flock that the pastors themselves also belong to as they're guided on their way to heaven. And when we finally do get to that eternal home, one for us by our Savior, and that we have only by grace alone, how appreciative we will be of this special office that Christ has established. And I love the final line of our text. And when the chief shepherd appears, speaking to those who guide us, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away, the same crown that you are leading your sheep to appreciate someday. Amen. Glory be to God. Amen.
grace and goodness, with your holy word and sacrament, with your strength and blessing. Abide with us when the night of affliction and temptation comes upon us, the night of fear and despair. 